You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, Lavazza, and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Lavazza. Four generations of the Lavazza family have been working to perfect the art of blending coffee since 1895 with a devotion to making coffee moments special. Signature blend Lavazza Classico with its intensely rich flavor and sweet aromatic notes is a celebration of the Italian way of life in every cup and is available any way you brew your coffee. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to To Dine For, the podcast. We are continuing our masterclass series over the past couple of weeks. We've been sort of giving you the best of quotes and snippets and little vignettes from the podcast over the past three years. We are celebrating three years of To Dine For, the podcast. This particular week, we are focusing on hospitality and the chefs and restaurateurs that we have interviewed on To Dine For, the podcast. And let me tell you, we have really interviewed some huge names in the world of hospitality, whether it's Will Gadara of Unreasonable Hospitality or Mario Carbone or Danny Meyer or Alex Garnaschelli. You're going to hear from all of them today. And we are tailoring this to pick out not only their unique POV on hospitality, but their philosophy for cooking, for running a business, and really for life. I did not intend to dine for to be 
a show or a podcast about hospitality or restaurants. But since we begin by asking people what their favorite restaurant is, it only makes sense that we really dive into the world of hospitality in this show. Some of my favorite interviews have been those in the food space because they understand that food is a connector, it's a bridge, it is a poetic license to connect us all and to really talk about the things that matter. And so without further ado, I'm going to begin this podcast with the man who wrote the book, Unreasonable Hospitality, Will Gadara. And he begins by talking about a defining dinner he had with his dad. Listen in. Over the course of however many, two, three hours that we were there, the rest of the world ceased to exist. And all Mm. that was left was me across from the table. Mm from him. The way I've articulated it since to everyone that's worked for me is that in restaurants, we have this beautiful opportunity or perhaps even responsibility to create these magical worlds in a world that needs more magic. Mm. Oh, gosh, I love that. That night, it was their, I use this word a lot, intention in creating the conditions for connection Mm -hmm. that made me feel that way. I believe a great restaurant is one that creates those conditions where if you and I go to a restaurant, a great restaurant, we will be closer at the end of the meal than we were going into it. Mm. I believe in the sacredness of the table, that it's one of the few places left in the world where people can come together in a profound and beautiful way, more so than almost any other place. Mm. I think a great restaurant understands the sacredness of the table. Mm-hmm. and understands that the food and the service and the design, they're simply ingredients in the recipe of human connection, that that's mm-hmm. what we're here to do. We're here to make people feel seen, to make them feel welcome, to give them a genuine sense of belonging with us and with those that they chose to dine with. So there are some restaurants that are so exclusive and so sceny that the average mortal will have a hard time getting a reservation. And one of them is the Carbone restaurants. One is in New York, one is in Miami. I actually interviewed skier Lindsay Vaughn at her favorite restaurant in Miami, which was Carbone Miami. And I tried for weeks to call that restaurant, email that restaurant to see if we could shoot the episode there. And I could not get through. I had to go back to Lindsay Vaughn and say, I'm so sorry, but I cannot get through to this restaurant. And she had to make the call. That has never happened in the history of to dine for. So that shows you how hard it is to get in touch and get through to the folks at Carbone. I am going to give you a few snippets from my interview with Mario Carbone, who eventually we were able to connect with him. He's a genius in the kitchen, an amazing businessman, and really has a very unique point of view when it comes to hospitality. Ultimately, we're storytellers, and that's what I think we're best at. Uh, That's what we are passionate in. And when a project or story comes along that we believe we'd like to tell, or we believe that we should tell, or we believe that we're the ones to tell, regardless of where exactly in the world of food and beverage or hospitality that is, we're probably going to tackle it. And uh, that, you know, by and large, has been restaurants, but it could also, as we as we grow into hotels and residences, and 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 I'm not sure what else it, it'll be. But what I am sure is, when something comes across that excites us, if we're excited about it, we're going to do a great job as a team. Um, and and that's that that's all that matters. 
Our style of hospitality is very theatrical. Again, we are storytellers, and um, the only way to tell a great story in our world is very much like seeing a play and going to a theater. For us to accurately tell a story, that might be, in Carbone's case, that might be a, a mid-century Italian-American restaurant in, in New York, right? You're, you're, you're dining in the late 50s in, in Greenwich Village, and you're having, what, what would that meal be? What would it look like? What would it taste like? What would it sound like? You have to consider every possible visceral reaction of the guest to really mm. make them an extra in your play and make mm. really make it a transient experience where they open the door and all of a sudden they are Ray Liotta walking in the back of Copacabana and Goodfellas. I love now, it. That is way easier said than done. The only way to accomplish that is to consider every little detail along the way so that they don't get, they're not taken out of character. If I've accomplished 99% of it and they're, they're in care, they're Ray Liotta, they're walking through the restaurant, they get all the way to the back of their restaurant, they get sat down, everything's happening, it's perfect, they can't believe the experience and the waiter's got a pair of Nikes on. Mm. It's over. Yeah, wow, down to that minute of detail? Of course. Wow. So when when you say, I love this, when you say every visceral experience, you mean from cutting the chunk of the Parmesan cheese to how the person greets you at the table to the, the, the emotion you feel from the music coming that you're hearing in your ears, right? Yeah, you don't, you know, I, I, I have no idea what the moments are going to be that are going to that are going to strike each customer because each customer, each guest is going to be struck in something in, in a different way. Often they don't even realize it, but it's our job to consider all of the things, all of the details. So you have to ask yourself if it is the Carbone project as an example, and this is actually supposed to be 1958, you have to ask with everything that you're doing, with every decision, every choice, everything you're purchasing, everything you're cooking, every word you're saying, would that have happened? in this space in 1958? Mm. And if the answer is no, then you can't do it. That, that song was made in 1962. It wouldn't be playing in 1958. Like we, I get pretty serious about it because I, I believe that whether you know it or not, I'm going to take you there. And some customers will get it. Oh, that, that, look how they did that. Look what, you know, look what the, the plate looks like. What the term he just said, that, that, I love this song. I love the lighting and it smells so great and the, whatever. Those are all intentional. Um, wow. So you have to be you have to be incredibly intentional with your decisions to get anywhere near a transportive experience. It's almost like you're a Hollywood set designer, and everything matters. It is exactly that way. Yeah, it's exactly that way. Another big name, specifically in New York City hospitality, is Mark Forgione. Mark Forgione is a successful chef, a restaurateur, and owner of the hospitality group Respect Hospitality. He attributes the success of his hospitality to the philosophy of the word respect. I was actually just flying through LaGuardia yesterday and walked right by his restaurant. I think it's called Mulberry Street. It's a beautiful view in Terminal, I believe it's Terminal B of LaGuardia on your way to the United Gates. Really beautiful view. He is a very established chef in New York and his father was a very established chef in New York. But I really enjoyed our conversation. Listen to what he had to say. What do you think is the biggest lesson your dad imparted to you, whether it's about life or cooking? A little bit of both, you know what I mean? Because uh, the way that he ran his kitchens is kind of the way we ran our <laughs> our home, you know? And it was, you know, kind of 
Well, I mean, I just recently named my hospitality group Respect Hospitality. And I think a lot of that comes from the way that I grew up, the way that an American place was, um, you know, respect, you know, for yourself and, you know, for your room and, you know, for the way you talk to your parents and for the way that you keep your station at the restaurant, the way you, the ingredients that you have, like, you know, it's respect, dot, 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 dot. Mm. And I think my, you can ask anybody that's ever worked for my dad, you know, he had a lot of respect for, you know, ingredients and the employees. And so I think respect is like the overall answer to what I've learned from him. Little did you know that it was setting you up for how to navigate the pandemic, because that probably was a parallel experience for you as, as a restaurateur. How did you overcome it? If you had to point to the to the one thing or the, or the couple of things that got you through that time, what was it? Honestly, like sticking with my, my, my gut instinct, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of people's advice, you know, were look like, let's just switch it to hamburgers and comfort food and, you know, lower the prices. And, you know, I worked so hard to like finally open this place. You know, I was just like, I can't, you know, like I'd rather go down in flames than, crawl around pretending to do something that I don't want to do. Mm. And so I kept doing it and, you know, kind of going back to what I just said, like, uh, you know, there's never any rhyme or reason, but, you know, we ended up getting that first star in, what was it? it was 2009, I think when the guide came out, you know, so at that point, and I'm not taking full credit myself, but, you know, there were a lot of people that helped get that first star. But at that point, like I was hands-on, like cooking everything, you know what I mean? Like, and I, you know, who knows, like maybe that was what needed to happen for us to have that recognition or that star or, but it's like, like I said, I think the answer to that question is just following my gut and not listening to, like I could have done fried chicken and cheeseburgers and, you know, waited the thing out. But I just, like I said, I just didn't want to do it. So instead we had a really small menu, um, but everything that was on the menu, you know, I was very proud of. Mm. And it was hard. We worked I mean, me and the other guys that were in there, I mean, you know, we, we were working in whatever it was. I think we were closed two days a week at that time, most likely. And, you know, it was like we got there at 10 in the morning and we left at 11 at night and we did everything ourselves. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you. 
so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National Agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. Some chefs are just plain fun, and that's how I feel about Chef J.J. Johnson, an award-winning chef, a TV personality, author, and a businessman, a founder of Field Trip USA, which is a restaurant that fosters connections to various cultures through rice dishes, because, of course, rice is served all over the world in so many different forms, and it is a great connector when we think about the global food scene. Chef has been on a journey of his own right through food, and he was able to share some of that journey with us. I learned like I could connect with people through food conversation. Like, oh, where are you from? Oh, really? Do you eat that dish? I know that dish. And I'm like, oh, yeah. But it was interesting. I mean, one of my closest friends, Catherine Felice, like I met at Senior Hall. I met a lot of great, great people at Senior Hall that are friends with today. Mm-hmm. And they always laugh because they're like, and I think everybody laughs, like high school friends. They're all like, yo, you say you were going to be like this big chef. You were going to like do all these things. And we all just laughed at you. But you got to believe before everybody else believes. That was the first time I realized that I could cook who I was, who I am. Mo- you know, being a chef is honing a craft, right? How do you make the best pasta, cook the best risotto, sear the best steak? Most of the time, it's not about like creating flavors or telling a story or digging deep. That's what Ghana did for me. Like, hold on. I think this is who I am. I'm a kid of the diaspora. Why hasn't anybody taught me this? And I started like self-teach myself about who I was as a person, who the diaspora is, kind of all these different aspects. And then that's what I kind of develop on the plate. I don't look at food like most chefs look at food and be like, okay, it's seasonality. I'm going to get heirloom tomatoes and then I'm going to put mozzarella (laughs) cheese with this. I'm like, yeah, it's seasonality. I got heirloom tomatoes, but where in the world do I want to cook? Like, who do I want to cook? Like, who do you want to embody? Right. Yeah. Who do I want to embody or give me influence? And I look at, that's how I look at foods. I feel like I'm cooking the food of the people all the time. So when I think of the gold standard of hospitality, one name comes to mind, and that is Danny Meyer. He's a restaurateur and executive chairman of the Union Square Hospitality Group. He's an author. He's a founder of the global burger chain Shake Shack. But way before he had Shake Shack, he was creating memorable dining experiences in New York City at Union Square Cafe. His philosophy and the way he teaches his staff to think about hospitality really is the gold standard. The reason that people get into the restaurant business has never been because it's easy. (laughs) Exactly. It's, It's always been because however hard it is, it's worth it because of the human connection that you get to have with your own staff, first and foremost, and with your community of regulars and guests. Mm. And if you take 
if you take all that good stuff away and then you actually make the hard stuff even harder, i.e. trying to navigate through a pandemic, it's been tough. Yeah, I bet it, it really has. has. It was a really fun place because everybody understood that the real reason you went back to a restaurant was because someone loved you there. Mm. And mm. when I moved to New York all those years later, where the food was decidedly better, much more continental, I didn't think the welcome was as good in New York as it had been when I grew up in St. Louis. And so truly it was trying to connect the hospitality from my youth with the, you know, the culinary excitement that, that New York was really on the cusp of. Oh, that's fascinating. So that was the connective tissue that you felt like you could bring uniquely to the table, so to speak. I think so. And I had also, at that point, done a lot of traveling in the kind of restaurants that I loved, the trattorias in Rome, mm. the bistros in France, some of the bar and grill cafes in San Francisco that were coming up in the 1980s. And what they all had in common was that you were going to really like what was on the plate and in the glass. But it wasn't too fancy and it wasn't about pretense. It was just about people welcoming you. And that's what I wanted to open with, with Union Square Cafe. It really is never about the food. I mean, the food is, I mean, I just had the delicata squash that was so delicious, I can't even tell you. So in this case, it is about the food, but beyond that. It's not only about the food is the issue. And we've actually come up with a recipe over all these years, which it's so simple because it only has two ingredients and it's 49 parts, how good is it? Mm -hmm. And 51 parts, how did it make you feel? Wow. And That's so great. it is about the food, mm -hmm. but if it were only the food, we'd get a 49 on our test. Right, right. That's a great way to so, put it. And with all those experiences, all over the world really, I started to develop a sense of the ones that made me feel the best. Mm. And it, always, it really always came down to that magical alchemy between how good did it taste and how well did they treat you. Mm. I remember a great quote from James Beard um, many years ago, who was still alive when I opened Union Square Cafe. And people would stop him in the airport or wherever, because he was a big, brown, bald-headed, very recognizable guy with a bow tie. And invariably, the conversation would go, where should we eat? What's your favorite restaurant? And he had this great response, which is, you already know my favorite restaurant. It's the same as yours. And people would go, what are you talking about? He said, it's the one that loves you the most. That's what I wanted to open with the Union Square Cafe. Mm. The pursuit of excellence in terms of food, the pursuit of excellence in terms of hospitality. How do you trans, I understand that this is part of who you are and your DNA, but how do you teach that to your staff? How do you convey that in a way that they too feel that and pass that on to the guest? Well, I you think really, that would be hard. It is really hard to teach someone who is not otherwise nice how to be nice or someone who's not otherwise empathetic, how to be empathetic. What we do a really good job of, and I've finally figured this out after all these years, is we attract and hire people who are already wired in a way with the kind of emotional skills that make them people who are happier themselves when they make someone else happy. Mm. And really the only thing we add to identifying and hiring them is to reward them 
for a part of their job that maybe their last job didn't. Mm -hmm. I think jobs are really good at rewarding you for things they can measure. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to measure humanity. the number. Yeah, humanity. Yeah. How do you do that? Right. But when we see it, we name it, we celebrate it. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, the restaurant business is a hard business. And I think people who love making other people happy and love doing their job really, really well. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, if the delicata squash isn't yummy, right. we could be really nice and you're probably still gonna go to another restaurant. Right. We gotta do both. Right. So we want people at the top of their game, but who are all doing it in the same spirit of hospitality. And then there was the food star. Alex Garnaschelli is one of the biggest names on the Food Network. She is a cookbook author, she's a TV personality, and she is the executive chef at one of New York City's most famous restaurants, Butter. She is down to earth, she is incredibly talented, and she was going through a tough time when I spoke to her, but that didn't stop her from being present and sharing her unique philosophy of what it's like to lead a kitchen. Very often she is the only woman in the kitchen and she was able to share a little bit about what leadership means to her. You know what I'm big on is acceptance. Hmm. I like a, a group of people that just all accept each other. Someone has a bad day, you accept it. Yeah. Someone came to work and had a rough day at home, you accept it. Someone's uh -huh. late, someone else picks up the slack. Someone's early. You know, like I remember the one guy would come always at three o'clock every day. The other people would straggle in and he would put um, cutting boards down at every station in the whole kitchen. Mm. He didn't have to do that. Right. You know, and when you're cooking, you've got a prep list, and you've got stuff to do. You don't want to do one thing that doesn't pertain exactly to you. Sure. Sure. In, until you're done with all your own work. Yeah. And then I remember one night I was so chill, like we were all set up, which was unusual. And we were kind of just waiting for dinner service. And I thought, and everybody's standing around chit-chatting. And again, that's just it. You know, you're done with your work, chit-chat, have a minute, have a coffee, yeah, fill out, because I'm going to need you to grind later. Right. And then I, uh, I went downstairs to look at some stuff in the refrigerator. And I came out of stairs and everybody was running like frantic, like it was a fire drill. <laughs> and I, I said, what happened? And every single person, nothing. Nothing happened. One person was chopping parsley. One person was dicing. People were just freaking out. And I said, I, is someone going to tell me what happened? And I went to the food runner yeah. and I said, what happened? And he said, um, Mickey broke a glass that was on top of his station and it fell. All the glass fell in all his preps. Oh. So he had to throw out all his preps and oh. everybody just is prepping one thing for him. Oh, wow. So that in 10 minutes he'll be set up. Yeah, that's awesome. And I said, you know, why wasn't anybody going to tell me? And they said, you know, they thought you'd be mad. Hmm. And I said, I'm not sure I, ha I there's a place for anger at right. this moment. I'll be angry later. But for right now, I can't find a place for anger because I'm, I'm really moved by the fact that they protected him. Yeah. No one was going to tell me what had gone wrong. And yeah. everybody was going to work until he was okay. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's the culture. It's a, it is a culture. and. People, because they're happy working there, they take care of it. I have been so privileged to interview some of these chefs and restaurateurs and to really think about the term hospitality, which, of course, we reserve for talking about the food space. But really, hospitality is how we live our lives and how we treat others and how we make time and space for people 
and how we care for people. I think that's what it's about. It's how do you care for others? And do you leave time in your heart, in your schedule to care for people? It's just something to think about today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed hearing from all these different chefs and restaurateurs. And I am just incredibly grateful to you for listening now three years of To Dine For The Podcast and Going Strong. Thank you. Thank you. And next week, we will continue our regular programming with a brand new podcast that you are definitely going to want to hear. But until then, have a great day. And thanks again. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Lavazza, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 